Philippians 3, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And as I keep emphasizing, and the reason I do this is I learned long ago in studying educational psychology that if you mention something one time, nobody remembers it. The end of seven days, you only remember 2% of what you've heard in just seven days. And so in as many ways as I can, I want to just keep bringing it to you that when you connect with God, your life is brought upward in every way. It's the enemy when you connect with him that causes your life to spiral downward. And he leaves you worse off than he found you. Amen. And I'm reading also in Mark 8, the verses I read a couple of weeks ago before Vanny was here. Then he, Christ, came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and he said, I see men like trees walking. Wow, what a verse of scripture. That's powerful. Then he put his, eye, his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. And I spoke about spatial um, orientation, the spatial orientation phenomenon, spiritual spatial orientation phenomenon. I explained that's when you see things inverted. And in this man's case, he saw men as trees. Now, what's amazing about this is what it means spiritually. I want to talk to you about that and how to get free from it today. Father, speak a word to us that will transform our lives and help us to achieve and reach that place in our lives that you've destined and seen us as being at from the very beginning of the world until now, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. I spoke with you about this a couple of weeks ago. He saw men as trees walking. And as you have read, Jesus had to pray for this man the second time. And only then could the man see properly. As I pointed out when I spoke on this a couple of weeks ago, spiritual, spatial, orientation, phenomenon. Uh, you know something is going on in this passage of Scripture because it's so strange. There are a number of things that are entirely inconsistent with Jesus' modus operandi, the way he normally functioned and the way his ministry worked, that in this particular story are wonderfully, strangely, amazingly absent and not present. Why would Jesus, for example, make a man leave his city before he would even heal, for him, heal him or pray for him? And certainly, as I pointed out, it was odd that Jesus would have to pray for the man twice. When did that ever happen in Scripture? Jesus called a dead man, Lazarus, from the tomb with one prayer, and then Lazarus come forth. He thundered, and that voice thundering that command was heard even in the realm of the dead. And Lazarus came walking out after just one prayer and one command. One command and the bow of a ship peace be still, and the violent storm immediately subsided. In fact, 
not only is this the only place Jesus had to pray twice for something, I want to point out to you there were some occasions when he didn't even have to pray. He just showed up in a place, for example. Just showed up. And people that had demonic spirits, the spirits within them began to cry out because they sensed the presence of authority greater than them. And that authority was immediately pushing and dispelling and displacing or dispossessing them from the one that they had occupied for so long. And they'd cry out and say, you come to torment us before our time. And Jesus hadn't even said a word or uttered a prayer yet. Then when Jesus healed this man, not only did he have to pray for him twice and did he bring him out of the town to do it, there are two other very strange things that occurred. He instructed the man to never go back to that city again and further commanded him that should he even meet anyone from that city, he was not to tell them what the Lord had done. To me, that is remarkably strange and that every other time it seems like that Jesus was, was doing things like this. He was getting a testimony out of it. I know there's the occasion when he told Jairus, don't tell anybody. And Jairus said, right, my lips are sealed. Whoop. Jesus walked out the front door. Jairus right out the back telling everybody he could find. Because what Jesus was actually doing was testing this man, Jairus. But in this occasion, that's not so. It's not what's going on here. For example, Jesus tells him, don't ever go back to that city. Don't go back and tell anybody what I've done. Look, Compare that with the story of the demoniac of the Gadarenes who wanted to follow Jesus and said, Lord, let me go with you. I'll be your servant and I'll be your testimony in every camp meeting. And you can use me as the example of what God is doing through you. And Jesus said, no, go back to your family and back to your associates and back to your city. And the man did, and the scripture uses this word. It says he began to publish the things Jesus had done, the good things the Lord had done. And that whole region turned out to hear Jesus the next time Jesus was there. Amen. Very strange things. Come out of the city before I even pray for you. He has to pray for him twice. Then he says, never go back into that city again. And then says, don't tell anybody what I've done. Now, all of that makes me look at this. Now, honestly, doesn't that sound strange to you? Think about it. You see anything mysterious in this? I do. And you can read over this and just never even notice how out of character this is. But if you do, you, you say, huh, what's going on? And I believe the key to putting it all together and understanding it, this is to see what happened when the man was prayed for the first time. Why did Jesus have him come out of the city? Why couldn't he go back? Why did he say, don't tell anybody? When he prayed for the man the first time, the man saw men as trees walking. Notice, though, the scripture does not say that everything else was equally and proportionately as large. A man, a man as tall as a tree would have meant a dog should have looked like an elephant. A tree should have looked like a skyscraper. And a, or a house should have looked like a, a mountain. None of that was happening. It was only men that were disproportionately large. Aha. There's your clue as to why Jesus said, come out and never go back. 
You see, men were what were unusually large and big in his life. He saw people as being disproportionately great. And what happens when that occurs is you see yourself small and insignificant. Worse, you see God small and insignificant. And what this man is really, as it were, a metaphor for, though the story is a true story, and what this, this, though the miracle really did occur, what's actually going on is God is showing us what may be one of the biggest problems you will ever encounter in building your dream, and that is the need to please people. The need to please people. Amen. You see, people is disproportionately large, and that's why Jesus even had to pray for the man twice. Because when you see people as being large, God is viewed as small. And so the man's faith was small, and whereas everybody else got a healing right away, his faith was so limited, he required a second prayer. And Jesus is telling this man, come out of this city and never go back. Because you see, there are those around us that are absolutely content, perfectly happy, to let us spend the rest of our lives standing on our tiptoes, trying to measure up to their expectations. And Jesus has to remove the man from this so that he can start his life afresh with a proper priorities. We are in a new series. I started that the first Sunday I spoke about this from this text. And, and to build your dream, you have to stay the course. That's what this series is about. After you see it and say it, after you pray it and play it, and after you, after, after you pay it, you also have to stay it. One of the primary reasons some people don't stay the course is because along the way there are a lot of pitfalls you're going to encounter. The enemy is opposed to you ever building your dream. That's why Vanny spoke on prayer last week is because that is a vital component in staying the course. That's why we're in 21 days of prayer and fasting. But also, if you're going to build your dream, one of the major reasons that some people get distracted is the thing you will also have to confront possibly in your own life, and that is healing the need to please disease. I want to talk to you about healing the need to please disease. All of us have a need to be accepted and to please others. Even God, after whose image we are made, according to John 4 and 23, seeks people to worship him. Amen. Seeks. Do you get that? We're made in God's image, and if God wants, needs, enjoys the appreciation of acceptance. If he gets something out of that, and this scripture says that he's seeking it, we who are made in his image cannot help but also have a need for acceptance. You see, we were created to bless other people and to serve God and be a minister for him to others. And so if we don't care about what other people think, then we are not able to then determine if we're successfully ministering to other people. If you don't care what other people think about you, then your ability to connect is immediately destroyed. 
I learned long ago a statement, and it goes like this. The amount of good that you do for someone is multiplied or divided by the amount of honor they show you or regard they have for you. So if people esteem you highly, you can help them. If they don't, you cannot. And one reason we need to please other people and have their approval that in a godly way is because it helps us to be able to minister to them. On the other hand, every single need that we have can be abused. And there are some people who do not need approval. And I want to point out that that's actually a very bad thing. It's sociopathic behavior. I see all of these signs these days. It's on T-shirts. I see it in the back of, of uh, truck windows or car windows. It said, no regrets. What? You're living and you've never had any regrets? Come on. I don't want to be connected with anybody that doesn't have the ability to experience some regret. Because that means they can hurt you and they don't care. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And people post all of this stuff, no regrets. I'm not interested in being connected to people that don't have the ability to experience regret. On the other hand, I think I understand what they're saying. They're saying don't get swallowed up in it. I believe it's what they're really trying to communicate. And you shouldn't. You can't live mourning over things and mistakes you've made for the rest of your life. You have to just be sorry about it and try to fix it and then go on with your life. And some can, things can be fixed, others not so easily or maybe not at all. But you don't live in the past. It's sociopathic behavior to not care what anybody thinks about you. You know what they say about sociopaths? They're the most pleasant people to engage or be friends with that there is. They smile. They make you feel good. They never confront you, but then they turn around the next moment and kill you. And go smile at somebody else and be friendly and kill them too. They said Ted Bundy was one of the most engaging people you would ever meet in your life. So I want you to understand that while I'm talking about healing the need to please disease, I am not condoning reaching a place where you absolutely do not care what people think. We all were created with the need to serve others and therefore the need to please or to be affirmed, amen, and by other people. We need their validation. And the problem with this is like any legitimate need, it can be abused. For example, we all have a need for food. Would you say amen to that? Amen. But how many of you know you can abuse that need? Amen. You can eat too much or you can eat too much of the wrong thing or we can fail to take enough nourishment to be healthy. And I'm, I'm not criticizing the guy. I mean, my heart go, went out to the guy. There was a guy living, was it in Detroit or somewhere up there, that was over 1,000 pounds and couldn't turn himself over in his bed. And I don't know what you think when you hear stories like that. I think he's lost like 500 pounds or something, which is great, because he was killing himself. I always wonder when I read stories like that, who's buying his Big Macs for him? Because the guy's not, he couldn't even get out of bed. I mean, it, it, there's no McDonald's right next to his bed where he just, he would give me 10 Big Macs and five milkshakes and, and supersize them, amen. Not, 
Now, it turned out his wife was the one that was enabling him. And sometimes we are enabled by the people that are closest to us. Hello, somebody. Amen. Sleep is a legitimate need. If you don't get sleep after three days, you, above two days, going on to three, you begin to hallucinate. You see things that are not there. Amen. Your cognitive functions begin to break down. You have to have sleep. But on the other hand, how many of you know people that abuse that and sleep too much? Amen. The Bible warned about that in the book of Proverbs. Everything that God gives us to make life enjoyable and livable can actually be abused or misused. For example, sometimes to treat certain conditions, we might need particular medications taken correctly. And according to the instructions of our physician, they help us get better. If they are abused, what was meant to help bring us life can actually cause great harm and even bring death. There's always stories about people that, that, that abuse the medication that they take and end up taking their own life. We were created with a desire for physical intimacy. Amen. Notice I said a desire. Because some people think that, I'm being real frank, sex is a need. Nah, you probably can live without it. You might not want to, but it's, it's not like food. Amen. Not like oxygen. You, you, can, you might not want to live in a world where... You have no intimacy, but it's, it's something that God created in us and a desire, and it's a gift from God within the proper channels. But on the other hand, abused, it destroys our most vital relationships and hurts the people we love the most. Amen. And Sam walks into his boss's office. This is a joke. Y'all don't mind joke, okay? Just telling you up front. And says, sir, I'll be straight with you. I know the economy isn't great, but I have three companies after me, and I would like to respectfully ask for a raise. And after a few minutes of haggling, the boss finally agrees to a 5% raise. And Sam happily gets up to leave. And the boss says, by the way, Sam, which three companies are after you? And Sam says, the electric company, the water company, and the phone company. I need a raise because I've... <laughs> we need lots of things. But we have, to, we have to look at our needs and make sure that we don't abuse them. And every one of us have a need for approval and validation. But it can be abused. I want to begin today, and I'll be speaking about this not next Sunday. Tommy Tenney will be with us for the Sunday after. I'll pick this up again. I'm starting with eight reasons why you need to deal with this issue of seeing people as being too big in your life, which is the state or condition of being intimidated and controlled by the need to please people. Eight is the number in Scripture of new beginnings. So my prayer is, is that God will use this to give you a new beginning in life and heal you of the disease of the need to please. Because all over this building, there are people that have spent their life standing on tiptoes for somebody, trying to please people that they haven't been able to please and feeling empty and torn inside and not being able to live the success of the dream of their life because of it. Number one, pleasing people can cause you to miss God's purpose for your life. Amen. 
You can't worry about being who everyone else wants you to be and at the same time put first in your life what God wants you to be doing. Amen. You can't. You can't make everybody else happy and at the same time please God. Peer pressure is a powerful force. In all studies done among teenagers, when teenagers are asked what is the number one thing you struggle with, do you know what they always put as the very first problem? Peer pressure. I want to tell you, some of us fortunately grow and kind of move a little bit out of that, but I believe it is still probably the number one thing that holds us back even as adults. We're trying to please people, and it can be extremely destructive, especially if you have the wrong people around you. It can also be very life-giving, on the other hand, if you have the right people around you encouraging you, which back to the corporate worship thing is why you need in your life to be in church every time you can be regularly, not just when you feel like it and when there's not a game, but you have to time for God like you make time for anything else that matters in your life. Why? Because out there, there are all these forces depleting you of the positive units in your account. And you need a place where somebody can put back into you, where God can replace in you what has been withdrawn from your bank account. Amen. Because peer pressure out there can really be bad. And have you ever noticed that everyone always has a wonderful plan for your life that they want you to follow. Oh, yeah. They will even tell you that God told them this is his plan for your life. Ever have that happen? Amen. I do believe in a prophetic word, in the word of knowledge. But what I'm talking about right now is a little different. Amen. When God gives you a prophetic word, according to 1 Corinthians and the teachings of Paul on the gift of prophecy, a prophetic word always edifies. The word edify in the Greek means two things. It means to build up, and it literally comes from a word that means house, like building a house. A true word from God will build you up. Many people go around giving words that are not like that. And it turns out if you follow their advice, they'll tear your house down. Amen. Get you in trouble. But when you get a prophetic word, it should edify or build you up. The other thing that the word edify means is confirm. Whoa. That's powerful. Because a genuine prophetic word confirms what God is already telling you. And if God hadn't told you and somebody else comes and tells you nearly every time that happens, it is manipulation and control. Don't ever let anybody else choose direction for your life. I need an amen right there. Because the Bible calls it the spirit of witchcraft. And you need to know where it even comes from. Where it comes from is somebody else that's trying to get validation. So they're setting themselves up in your life to be this prophetic voice. So you'll go, ooh, you know, and they'll feel good about themselves after that. 
But if God's not telling you first, just file it away. And if God tells you, a prophetic word confirms it. Remember, you're not there to please people. 1 Thessalonians 2 and 4. Our purpose is to please God. Say it. Not, say it. Not people. Who are you supposed to please? Pleasing people, number two, will cause you to miss your destiny and lose your dream. Saul lost his destiny, which was to be king for the nation of Israel. He lost his dream of the kingdom because of the need he had for validation and acceptance. Look at 1 Samuel 13. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. God was going to raise up a dynasty with Saul. And it was actually God's original plan that Jonathan, his son, would take his place. But because Saul feared the people, as we shall see shortly, he lost his dream, lost his destiny, because he was trying to do what people wanted him to do. Amen. Number three, pleasing people keeps you from developing your faith. None of us are born in this world with perfect, complete faith. I love what Jesus told the man, if you believe all things are possible, whose son was, was possessed of a demonic spirit. I taught one time on this, and the man said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because all of us have a mixture of faith and doubt. And whichever voices we're hearing the most contribute to which one of these is predominant in our life. Amen. And so, you say, do you believe in God? Yes. Amen. But we're kind of like the guy that fell off the cliff, right? And on his way down, he caught a branch on a tree that was growing out from the cliff. And he's holding on for dear life. And he said, somebody help me, please. And nobody's up there. And finally, his fingers are growing tired and his arms are weary. And he says, God, if you're up there, please help me. And the Lord says, hello, my son. How are you? Well, like very good, God, help me, save me. He said, my son, I've heard your prayer. Let go of the tree limb and I will catch you. Is there anybody else up there? Amen. Pleasing people will not allow you to grow your faith. When you see people as being disproportionately large and, and important in your life, you cannot help but see God as being diminished and small. You cannot see people as being big and God as being big as well. When you, people are walking around like trees in your life, God's going to be diminished in stature and size. And when that happens, we end up giving to people the regard, the respect, the honor, and the authority that should be reserved for God alone. And the opinions of people come to matter more to us than God's opinion does. So our faith is weak and shriveled. And somewhere in the course of your life, you need to work on growing your faith. Amen. 
you need to work on growing your faith because trust me when I tell you, this world will not always come to your rescue. Blue Cross and Blue Shield, thank God for them, but they only go so far. Amen. And if you think that the government's going to bail you out of everything, I've got news for you. I paid Social Security my whole life. And the other day I was looking, they took taxes out for Social Security, just like they do you. Now, you know what? You pay taxes when they give you Social Security. What? That's, I paid taxes so I could have it. Now you want to tax what I've already Amen. Not everybody's looking out for you, but God always does, and he's always in your corner. Listen, if you spend your life trying to please people, you will never grow your faith. John 5 and 41, Jesus said, I don't need praise from people. That's a blessed place to be. When you don't need praise from people, because praise from people, needing that, will make you compromise your integrity. The Living Bible says of this verse where Jesus spoke, it quotes him as saying, your approval or disapproval means nothing to me. May God help us to reach the place that the approval or disapproval of the world is not what we're seeking for, that we're seeking the approval of God Almighty instead. Verse 44 of this same chapter, Jesus asks, How can you believe which honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from God only? Or the living Bible says of that verse, No wonder you can't believe. For you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from only God, the only God. What? Jesus lays the blame for the lack of development of faith directly at the feet of the need for approval. When we honor one another and when we're doing what one another wants or demands that we must do, the people around us require of, requires of us. We stop growing our faith. Amen. And these verses make it very clear that when you try too hard to please people, it will hinder your spiritual growth and interfere with your relationship with God. No wonder you can't believe, Jesus said. Amen. You're honoring each other rather than seeking God's approval. Wow. Look at this verse. Proverbs 29 and 25 in the message, the fear of human opinion disables. Trusting in God protects you from that. What? The fear of human opinion disables? We know what disables mean, right? That means to break down. Your car is disabled, right? Wheel fell off or something. It's not going anywhere. Here, the Lord said that if the fear of human opinion is what is important in your life, that it will disable, and it stops right there, semicolon. It doesn't say what it disables, and so my question is, okay, it disables, but what does it disable from? The fear of human opinion disables the development of your relationship with God. It also disables your dreams, your wheels fall off, of your dream. 
It disables your vision. It disables your marriage. It disables your human relationships. Trying to please people will make your dreams go off the rails and you will crash. You can't please everybody. Amen. Oh, I'm preaching to you right now. Hear what I'm saying. And number four, trying to please everyone will lead you ultimately into sin. Works of the flesh and study after study, as I mentioned a while ago, and survey after survey. When teenagers are asked to identify their biggest struggle, they always name peer pressure. And when parents ask their kids, why did you do what you did? What do they always say? My friends, my friends, they were doing it, so I thought I'd do it too. And come on, parents, what's the age-old response from parents to your kids? If your friends jump off a, you're going to do, you're going to jump too? We all say the same thing. But yeah, you know what? If their friends jump off, yes, they will. That's the way it goes. Amen. Because trying to please people will lead you into sin. We all have a need to be accepted and loved. Now put that together, that need for acceptance and validation together with the weaknesses of our human desires because we're still flesh. And what do you end up with? You have this need to be accepted. You've already, within yourself, you already possess proclivities toward doing certain things that are wrong and everybody around you doing that and they're looking at you, come on, let's go. You're already trying, the flesh is already trying to lead you there. And one mistake that spirit-filled people make is they sometimes think that when they get spirit-filled, the flesh dies and goes away. No, you gotta, you got to kill it every day. Amen. you got to mortify it every day. John Osteen once told me, he said, son, he said, the problem with spirit-filled folk is they read John 3. Chapter 3, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and they don't get it. That which is flesh is flesh. We think we baptize it, and the flesh becomes spirit, but it doesn't. It's still flesh. Saved on your way to heaven, you still are living in a house made of flesh. And you give in, it will make you do things that will be destructive. And so we have a need to be accepted and loved. And already we're fighting the weaknesses of the flesh. Put those two together, couple peer pressure with that, and we end up doing things we shouldn't do. And so this is why we need to surround ourselves with positive voices. And it's not just teenagers. Hear me. I've been in this a long time as a pastor, and I want to tell you, children are not the only ones, and teenagers, young adults are not the only ones who struggle with the need for acceptance. Come on, guys. That's why I often tell you, men and women, hear me. If you're struggling with alcohol, don't think you can go down to Joe's bar and drink a Coke and hang out with the guys. If you're trying to quit smoking cigarettes, stop hanging around people that are. That was the hardest addiction I've ever had to break in my life. And, you know, the pastor said, go witness to people. I love that, especially if they were smoking. I want to talk to you. Get real close. I want to talk to you about God. You know, 
so I could breathe their secondhand smoke. I'm not talking about, I'm not saying cigarettes are going to send you to hell like somebody said. It just makes you smell like you've already been there. Amen. But, but what I'm saying is if you want to stop, you can't be hanging around that. Same thing with drugs. Anybody that's, in, that's involved in drug rehab or counseling people with addictive problems knows they will not recover if they stay in their present environment. You've got to break some things off. And that's why Jesus said, come out of that city. And don't ever go back there again. Because you'll fall right back into the same trap if you're not careful you see men as trees. And so you look in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 10 through 16. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, took over the kingdom when Solomon died. He was king over all 12 tribes of Israel. And if he had listened to the elders that had advised his dad, who was the wisest man who ever lived. Doesn't that tell you something? Wisest man who ever lived had advisors. Smartest guy that ever walked the top side of this planet had people to give him advice. You are never so smart you don't need somebody to help you once in a while. Amen. But you have a choice. Are you going to get the wise people or those that you want the acceptance of? You know what Rehoboam did? He talked to the, the counselors that had advised his dad. They told him what to do. They were going through an economic crisis. The people wanted some respite from the taxes, relief. And you know what happened? He called the young guys around him. And they, this is what the Bible called them, the young men who had grown up with him. Uh-huh. And asked them their input. And he did what they said rather than the older, seasoned, trusted advisors. You know what happened? He lost, out of the 12 tribes he was governing, he only remained with one because the kingdom divided and the other tribes walked away. Here's what you need to understand. People you are close to influence your thoughts. Your thoughts influence your choices and ultimately our choices either create or they limit our destiny. The right choices can even multiply one's destiny. You don't believe that's true? You hang around some folk that know more about some things than you do, and then all of a sudden, you know more about the thing and the subject than you did formerly. Like money, for example. If you were raised like I was, you didn't have anybody to give you advice on any money because they didn't have any to give advice about. Rich dad, poor dads. What, what rich dad teach their kids about money that poor dads don't teach theirs. You got to have it before you can teach somebody about it. But you connect with somebody that's got it. And you know what? They can teach you some stuff that your parents maybe or others have not taught you. And so it's really important that you, if you want to kick your destiny up to another level, that you surround yourselves with people that can give you good advice. My time is going. Exodus 22 and 3, it says, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Whoa, why would God forbid us to follow our friends that do wrong? As our creator, I'll tell you why. As our creator who designed and gave us our life. 
God knows our propensity to follow others in the wrong direction, even to our own detriment and pain. The Hebrew word right there for follow actually is a word that means to delay or hesitate. What God is saying is do not even hesitate when the crowd is going the wrong direction. Don't hesitate. You still do the right thing. Why did he say that? How many of you in your heart of hearts, you know what is right, but when all of your friends were wanting to do something that they shouldn't, you hesitated first before you said no. God is saying reach the point that you don't even hesitate. Why? Because if you hesitate, there will come a day you'll end up following. Amen. And have you ever known what was right and didn't do it? Sure, we all have, but don't get stuck there. One of the reasons we ended up there was because we hesitated. Proverbs 1 and 10 says, Dear friends, if bad companions tempt you, don't go along with them. Why? Here's why. Because once you grow a friendship, you develop a quality that's called loyalty. You become loyal to that friend, and that is a godly thing. Because these days... The world doesn't have the same amount of loyalty it used to have toward anything. People are not as loyal to families, to mom and dad, to kids. Not as loyal to an employer, a church, or anybody. They're just not as loyal. It's always, how's it going to benefit me, you know? That whole thing, no regrets. People act like they really want to live that way. And there are all kind of folk out there that are encouraging them to do exactly that. And so what happens is if you make the wrong friends, here's what happens if they start going the wrong direction. Your loyalty makes it difficult for you to say no to them because you're connected to that person. And what God is saying is loyal or not. If they get, start leading you the wrong way, stop right there. Don't hesitate and say firmly no. Amen. Don't participate in it. And this, the reason this is important or significant, if it was a stranger, you see, that was trying, that you had just met three minutes ago, that's saying, come on, let's go do this. Flat out, you would say no, not going to. But because it's somebody you're connected to, you have a relationship, your loyalty makes you hesitate. And if you allow the crowd to intimidate you into delaying or hesitating, it will just be a matter of time before you find yourself following. There's so many examples of this. Look at Peter when asked if he knew Jesus. He had the opportunity to say firmly yes, but he hesitated because he was intimidated by the crowd and didn't want to displease them. And he ended up doing what? Following the crowd and denying Christ. I'm talking about somebody that lived with Jesus for three and a half years. Watched him walk on water. He walked on water. Watched him open blind eyes and heal lepers and feed multitudes. But he denied Christ because he wanted to please the crowd. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 through 34, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. I hope you're going to 
write these down, or if not, make sure you get them from the podcast because there are grandparents and parents here. And what you don't want to do with your teenagers or grandchildren or kids is when they start going the wrong way, you say, you got to leave those folk alone. You don't want to say when they ask you, why? You don't want to say, because I said so, that's why. Ah, uh, that doesn't mean anything. You want to be able to show them because God's word tells us God has a plan for your life. And he doesn't want that plan corrupted and spoiled, which is what will happen if you connect with the wrong people. Uh, earlier I mentioned Saul lost his destiny because of the need to please people and the need for approval. Look at 1 Samuel 15 and 24. God had told him to kill all of the Amalekites, which were idol worshipers in the land. And he said, get rid of that influence because it will drag you down. Destroy all of it, including even their cattle. The contamination of the spirit that they're worshiping has even affected their livestock. It carries this, this spirit of evil. And so get rid of all of it and, or it will make you fall. And you know what? Saul, the people looked at all the cattle and said, man, I, I, I make great barbecue back home. And, you know, and so... Uh, you know what he did? He spared the cattle, the best of all of their livestock, and spared some of those that were Amalekites, including the king. And Saul confronted him, or Samuel confronted him, and Saul gave in and confessed and said, I've sinned, I've trampled roughshod over God's word and your instructions. I cared more about pleasing the people. I let them tell me what to do. Look at it. And years later... When Saul, who had rejected God, lost his anointing, he was in a battle, and he realized he was going to be taken in just a few moments, and boy, they were going to, make, they were going to torture him because he was the king. He would be a prize hostage and catch. They weren't going to let him live. They were going to kill him, but after, only after making him suffer. You know what Saul did? Saul fell on his own sword, but it missed the vital organs. And along came somebody who found him wallowing in pain. You know who it was? An Amalekite. One of those Saul had spared. And the Amalekite killed him. What he was supposed to do to that Amalekite is what the Amalekite did to him. The things you don't get out of your life end up pulling you down. Amen. And destroying you. The ten spies. Israel let ten men bring back a report and talk them out of their inheritance and going into the promised land. It's happening in our nation. Yes, it is. I'm preaching better than you're responding, I might add. Oh, yeah. 80% of Americans believe in God and the Bible. And you know what's happening? We're letting small percentages of special interest groups talk us right out of our faith. I am going to come on now. Amen. These days you can't have the Ten Commandments in public buildings. They're trying to remove in God we trust from our currency. You can't even have a nativity scene at many schools at Christmas time. All because it might offend someone who doesn't believe in God. Now watch this. This is the duplicity. Atheists want us to be tolerant of their right to not believe, but when it comes to our right to believe, they have no tolerance at all. Amen. 
and all of this other madness that's going on. We are, we, we've got to stop this. But God wants to heal us of the disease of the need to please. The need to please disease is killing people, destroying lives. And there's some of us that live on tiptoes trying to make other people happy.